I sat down to write this episode on May 23rd, which coincidentally happened to be World Turtle Day. With their relatively long lives and ancient appearance, humans have associated turtles with longevity and even immortality throughout history. Ancient Egyptians wore turtle amulets to ward off evil and protect health. Knives with turtles carved on them were also thought to protect women and children. Several cultures thought that the world was carried on the back of a turtle, and some thought that people came from eggs laid by the world turtle. But not all mythological turtles were so innocent. In West African mythology, Tortoise was a trickster, and in one ancient Greek myth, a criminal named Skyron killed people by throwing them off a cliff to a flesh-eating turtle. But in real life, turtles are fascinating creatures and generally peaceful. And although they're unlikely to sneak up on you or chase you down, some of what I'm about to tell you just might take you by surprise. So let's slow things down, slow things down, and take a closer look at turtles. I'm your host, Tim the Nature Nerd O'Hara, and this is the Dispatches from the Forest podcast. So first things first, let's answer the age-old question, What the heck is the difference between a turtle and a tortoise? Well, all tortoises are turtles, but not all turtles are tortoises. Tortoises are a member of the turtle family, but with some significant differences. One of the major differences is that tortoises spend most of their time on land, and most species of tortoise, but not all, are found in semi-arid climates. On the other hand, most species of turtle are adapted to a more aquatic lifestyle, although there are terrestrial turtles, which I'll talk about later. Because they live primarily on land, tortoises tend to have a more dome-shaped shell, whereas other turtles have a more streamlined shell for easier movement through the water. Although, that said, land-dwelling turtles also tend to have a more rounded shell, which makes them more resistant to being crushed by large animals. Finally, tortoises have club-like forelegs and elephantine hind legs. Since tortoises tend to be larger and heavier than turtles, these appendages help support all that extra weight. Turtles either have flipper-like feet, in the case of sea turtles, or webbed feet to help them swim. While both turtles and tortoises tend to be long-lived, tortoises have one of the longest lifespans of any animal in the world. Tortoises can live to be over 150 years old. It's little wonder that they're associated with longevity. Okay, with that out of the way, let's talk about the thing that all turtles have in common, their shell. There are two turtle terms that you need to know, carapace and plastron. Carapace is the turtle's top shell. Plastron is the bottom shell. Now, contrary to what you've seen in cartoons, a turtle's shell is not its house, and it's not something that it can just take off. The shell is actually its spine and rib cage, which is why you shouldn't pick up a turtle by the carapace. Imagine having somebody pick you up by the spine. Turtles are able to feel both pain and pressure through their shell, and I've heard of captive turtles that enjoy having their carapace scrubbed with a stiff brush. Essentially, the carapace is composed of the spine and some ribs, which have evolved to be flat and fused together. The plastron is composed of the sternum and some of the abdominal ribs. 
The shell is covered in scales called scutes that are made up of keratin. Keratin is the same stuff that makes up your hair and fingernails. Most turtles have 38 scutes on the carapace and 16 on the plastron for a total of 54. Many species of turtles shed scutes as their shell grows, and which are then replaced by larger ones, although some just grow new scutes over the old ones, giving them kind of a rippled appearance, which allows biologists to estimate their age. So let's look at some specific turtle species. First, I want to tell you about a turtle that is the complete exception to everything I just told you about turtle shells, softshell turtles. Worldwide, there are 25 species of softshell turtle. In the United States, the two most common are the smooth softshell turtle and the spiny softshell turtle. The primary difference between them is the knobby spine-like projections on the leading edge of the spiny softshell's carapace. As you might have guessed from the name, instead of having a bony shell with scutes like I just described, the shell of the softshell turtle is leathery and somewhat pliable. They have a very long neck and a long snout, which they use like a snorkel. Frequently, they'll bury themselves in the mud beneath the water with just the tip of their nose extending above the surface. But softshell turtles are what's known as bimodal breathers. They breathe air, but they can also exchange oxygen and carbon dioxide through their skin. Now, this makes them especially sensitive to water pollution and low oxygen levels in the water. In the winter, softshell turtles enter brumation, which is the cold-blooded animal version of hibernation. They bury themselves in the mud at the bottom of a body of water. They don't need to eat, but they still need to breathe. Now, in episode 12, I told you about cloacal respiration, also known as butt breathing, which is done by some turtles, but softshell turtles do something similar, and it's more like neck breathing, which isn't nearly as humorous to say as butt breathing. About 70% of the oxygen they require during hibernation is absorbed through their skin. The remaining 30% is absorbed by pumping water in and out of the throat. Now, smooth softshell turtles display sexual dimorphism. Females are larger than males. In North America, female smooth softshell turtles can grow to be over a foot long, while males max out at about seven inches. However, worldwide, softshell turtles are some of the largest freshwater turtles, with some species growing to be over three feet long and weighing a couple of hundred pounds. Okay, now I want to look at a small turtle. The smallest in North America, in fact, the bog turtle. A fully grown adult bog turtle doesn't get much more than about four and a half inches long and weighs in at right around four ounces. These diminutive turtles are found only in parts of the eastern United States, congregating in colonies of 20 or fewer individuals. There's two distinct populations of bog turtles, separated by about a 250-mile gap. The northern population is larger. Bog turtles are found as far north as Connecticut and Massachusetts, south into Maryland. But even in that range, there's less than 200 suitable habitats remaining. The southern population is found in the Blue Ridge Mountains, stretching from southern Virginia to Georgia, but are even more scattered than the northern population, and they live at higher altitudes. Now, bog turtles favor open, groundwater-fed, wet meadows and bogs. Like all turtles, they're omnivores, eating plants as well as insects, worms, slugs, and even crayfish. They thrive in mountain bogs or isolated wetlands with acidic wet soil, thick moss, and deep layers of mud. 
These deep, mucky soils fed by groundwater provide great protection from predators and other elements. Short clumps of vegetation let in plenty of sunlight for incubating eggs and for basking. Now, if any of these conditions change, a bog turtle population can easily decline or disappear from an area. Bog turtles are considered critically endangered. Habitat loss and habitat fragmentation from human development is a major contributing factor in their decline. Other threats include invasive plant species, because these can grow in much higher densities and inhibit this tiny turtle's ability to move. Increased death from cars while trying to disperse and illegal collecting for the pet trade are also contributing to their decline. Now, it doesn't help that the bog turtle has a very low reproductive rate. Females lay only one clutch per year, averaging only three eggs, and it takes between four and ten years for the young to reach sexual maturity. If they can survive long enough to reproduce, bog turtles in the wild have an average lifespan of between 20 and 30 years. A much more common turtle, and one of my personal favorites, is the box turtle. There are seven species of box turtle and 12 subspecies. Box turtles can be found throughout much of the United States east of the Rocky Mountains. Here at Dispatches HQ, we frequently see eastern woodland box turtles. The shell of a box turtle is hinged at the bottom, which lets the turtle pull its head and legs completely inside the shell and close it tightly to deter predators. It's less like carrying around a house and more like carrying around a personal panic room. Box turtles are land turtles, and although they bear a superficial resemblance to tortoises in that they have a domed shell, they're actually members of the pond turtle family. Now, box turtles may enter shallow water, even partially submerge in hot weather to cool off, but emphasis here on shallow water. They can swim, but they're not adapted to living in water like other species. I cringed once reading a commenter on you guessed it, the infamous Nextdoor app, saying how they rescue, quote-unquote, box turtles by taking them down to the river. In fact, a lot of well-meaning box turtle rescues actually do more harm than good. Box turtles have a very small home range, usually less than two acres, where they will spend their entire life. The technical term for this is home range phylopatry. When removed from that home range, they try to find their way back to it. If you happen to find one crossing a road, pick it up carefully and move it safely off the road in the direction it was traveling. Although box turtles are not considered endangered currently, home range phylopatry means they're certainly at risk from habitat loss since they can't easily move to another area. They're also a species that is frequently collected for the pet trade. Box turtles seen crossing roads in June and July are often pregnant females in search of a good nesting site. Telling the difference between male and female box turtles is actually really easy. Male box turtles have red eyes and an indentation in their plastron. Females have yellow eyes and a flat plastron. The flat plastron helps her when she's digging the nest. The indentation in the male's plastron helps him get close enough to... <clears throat> engage with the female during mating. Last spring, while mountain biking on a nearby trail, I came across a pair of box turtles engaged in the process of making baby turtles. Not to sound weird, but box turtle mating is actually pretty amazing. First, the male climbs on top of the female's carapace and may even bite the front edge of her shell. When he's ready to, 
let's stick with engage the female, he'll stick his back feet in the back of her shell, which she clamps down on, pinning him in place. He might even fall over backwards during mating, and she might drag him around like that for up to several hours. On a side note, contrary to popular belief, turtles are generally able to flip themselves back over. Now, after mating, the female can lay fertile eggs up to four years after. How amazing is that? When she's ready to lay eggs, the female box turtle will dig a nest three to four inches deep and lay anywhere from two to seven eggs. She covers the eggs up, and then they're on their own. Turtle eggs are often dug up by raccoons and other predators. It takes two to three months for them to hatch, and a single female might lay several clutches per year. Young that hatch late in the year might overwinter in the nest. With box turtles, as it is with many turtles, the temperature of the nest during incubation determines the sex of the young. A cooler nest yields more males, a warmer one more females. Now, think about this. It has some implications as we face a warming climate. If the sex ratios of the offspring become too out of balance, it could cause problems for many turtle species. Box turtles reach sexual maturity somewhere between 7 and 10 years old, but they're not fully grown until the age of 20. Incidentally, box turtles don't develop the hinge that lets them fully close their shell until the age of 4 or 5 years. Box turtles in the wild live to be between 30 and 40 years old, and in captivity they can live to be 50 and older. Here in the United States, we have two species of snapping turtle the alligator snapping turtle, and the common snapping turtle, although surprisingly, they're not really all that closely related. Alligator snapping turtles are found primarily in fresh water in the southeastern United States. Common snapping turtles have a much wider range and can be found in almost all of the United States east of the Rocky Mountains, with the exception of the desert southwest. Alligator snapping turtles are distinguished from common snapping turtles by the three distinct rows of spikes and raised plates on their carapace, whereas the common snapping turtle has a much smoother carapace. If all turtles look prehistoric, alligator snapping turtles are the most dinosaur-looking of them all. Now, both of these are large turtles. Alligator snapping turtles range between 13 and 32 inches in carapace length, and anywhere from 20 up to about 175 pounds in the wild. Although snapping turtles continue to grow throughout their life, and a former resident alligator snapping turtle from Chicago Shedd Aquarium was nearly 250 pounds at the time of its death. Common snapping turtles are comparatively smaller, usually measuring between 10 and 18 inches in carapace length and weighing between 10 and 35 pounds. Snapping turtles reach maturity between 8 and 10 years old, though in the northern part of their range it might take up to 20, and they can survive 30 to 70 years in the wild. Few predators are capable, or willing for that matter, to take on a full-grown snapping turtle. Snapping turtles travel extensively over land to lay eggs or to find new habitat, so the primary cause of mortality for adult snappers is getting hit by cars. In captivity, safe from the danger of getting run over, they can live to be 100 years old or more. If there's any turtle that's a danger to you, it's the snapping turtle. But to be honest, if you get bit by a snapping turtle, it was probably your own fault. Now, there's always that story about someone getting bit while swimming, but it usually starts with, I knew a guy, which just smells like urban myth. 
I did some research and I couldn't find a single legitimate news story about a swimmer being bitten by a snapping turtle. The reality is that in water, a snapping turtle would prefer to avoid confrontation with you. You're much too big to be considered prey. While they might investigate you, they're much more likely to just swim away. Like other turtles, they're omnivores, and they'll eat anything they can swallow. They usually hunt either by sitting underwater, even partially buried, sitting very still, waiting for something to swim by, or by swimming very slowly towards their prey. Once in range, they catch their prey with a quick strike and swallow it whole. On land, a snapping turtle might be more aggressive because it's feeling more vulnerable. Unlike a box turtle, the snapping turtle doesn't have a full plastron, so it can't fully enclose itself in its shell. But again, you would have to put yourself in a position where you can get bit. It's not like that big old turtle is going to chase you down. Most people who get bit by snapping turtles are either A, doing something stupid, or B, trying to help, but they assume that if you grab them near the tail, they can't reach you. And that's a big mistake. First of all, grabbing a snapping turtle, or any turtle for that matter, by the tail is a good way to cause a spinal injury. Second, a snapping turtle's neck is exceptionally long, and it can indeed reach around and bite something near its tail. In fact, their scientific name is Chalydra serpentina. Serpentina meaning snake-like, which refers to the snapping turtle's neck. If you should happen to find one crossing a road and you want to help, I suggest that you either direct traffic around it until it makes it across on its own, or find a way to help from a safe distance using a broom or a shovel. Grabbing a snapping turtle if you're not an expert is a good way to go home with fewer fingers than you started with. Not that long ago, snapping turtle was considered hot cuisine, though. From the 18th century until the early 20th century, parties called turtle frolics were fairly common, on par with a hog roast or a clam bake. Writings from the Times depict servers bearing three-foot-long upturned turtle shells holding hot turtle soup for crowds of guests. Although turtle soup originated with sea turtles, but other turtles were sometimes used, including box turtles and diamondback terrapins. But in America, snapping turtle was the most commonly used, and no cookbook from the time lacked a turtle soup recipe. Now, just to give you an idea of how popular turtle soup was, on July 6, 1776, two days after signing the Declaration of Independence, John Adams celebrated with a bowl of turtle soup. When the Revolutionary War was over, George Washington met with his officers in Manhattan for a farewell frolic. President Lincoln celebrated his second inauguration with turtle soup, and the 27th president, William Howard Taft, was such a fan of turtle soup that when he moved into the White House, he brought with him a chef who specialized in the dish. And if that's not enough to convince you of how popular it was, Campbell's made a condensed turtle soup, and later, for reasons I'm about to get into, a mock turtle soup. Although sometimes made with ground beef, mock turtle soup was traditionally made with calf's brains and organ meats to simulate the texture of real turtle. Which, yeah, is it just me, or does that not sound appetizing at all? The decline in popularity of turtle soup was the culmination of several factors, all coming together at the same time. First was over-harvesting. It's an age-old story. When we humans like something, we tend to overdo it without thinking about the consequences. And Economics 101, as turtle meat became harder to get, the price went up. 
Simultaneously, after World War I, American tastes started changing. More mechanized farming meant beef, pork, and chicken were both easier to raise and more readily available at a more reasonable cost. Then came Prohibition. One of the main ingredients in turtle soup is either wine or sherry, which, during Prohibition, was unavailable or, at the very least, illegal. The final nail in the turtle soup coffin was the Great Depression, which, given the high price of turtle meat, put the cost of turtle soup out of reach for most people. Canned mock turtle soup was still widely available until sometime in the 1960s. I think I'm okay sticking with tomato or chicken noodle. And that's where we'll conclude this episode. Thank you for listening. Be sure to leave a like and subscribe. You can also follow Dispatchers from the Forest on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. If you have a question, a comment, or a suggestion for a future episode, feel free to email me at dispatchesfromtheforest at gmail.com. If you're enjoying the podcast and you want to support future episodes, feel free to check out my Patreon page and consider becoming a patron. Tiers start at just $5 a month, and there's some pretty cool swag that you get with three months of paid patronage. You can find all that information at patreon.com forward slash dispatches from the forest. I'm your host, Tim the Nature Nerd O'Hara, reminding you to go outside and get dirty. The Dispatches from the Forest podcast is a production of Dispatches from the Forest and may not be used or rebroadcast whole or in part without express written permission.